Jim, Joe Myers of Crowell, Finch, and Merriweather. We're going to court tomorrow with that Penrose fraud case, but Steno misplaced your 200-page deposition. Uh, could you come down tonight and give it again? Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I, as per usual, am Nathan Paletta, not in disguise. <laughs> with surprise guest star Epidiah Ravishaw. <laughs> <laughs> or shall we call you Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones, yes. <laughs> uh, well, okay, that's a good segue. Let's talk about the episode we're going to do today. Yes, indeed. For this episode, we're going to Season 5, Episode 18, A Material Difference. Mm-hmm. So you picked this one. Yes, I did. Uh, it's been a, a wild, I don't know, month, <laughs> year, century. Who knows anymore? Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's been a wild, wild time. Um, so in the discussion over the next uh next episode to to do i kind of wanted to go with something that would be a little um i don't know a little more rompy a little more lighthearted, and to be perfectly frank i just have more angel in it because yeah <laughs> you know how you know how we like our angel um so i did pick this one basically uh j- just from the the description with the memory from my first watch of the premise but i really really did not remember oh yeah all the all the permutations and uh and and various agencies and everyone involved um that i was like what i did not remember any of that actually so yeah i i was i was at sea i was trying to remember um what i remember i think i have a distinct memory of angel in this persona yes and that's the extent of it i remember the con yeah and that was pretty much it so uh so i would say that this indeed delivered in terms of rompness and angelitude i like that angelitude mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rockfordishness and angelitude this episode was written by Rogers Turrentine, who only has one other Rockford Files credit. He did the teleplay for another episode that we did. He has a plural first name. Uh, he did the teleplay for the Battle Axe and the Exploding Cigar. Oh, yes. Which also was kind of a uh, military intelligence. <laughs> yeah, he has a, uh, a type. I don't remember if we talked about him really in that episode. There's not a whole lot to go on on the internet. Uh, there's a line that says that um, after he came to the attention of David Chase, he was kind of a David Chase guy uh, later in the in the decade. This is uh, not this episode, but wait, maybe this episode is where he cut his teeth, right? Like this is uh, the very beginning of his IMDb. Yeah, this is his first written by credit. Yeah, he was a story editor... And wrote for a, a program on PBS before being brought to the attention of the Rockford Files. I'm just reading his mini bio on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I have, Someone has to. Yeah, I have no additional insight to share except that I just clicked through. Uh, okay, so the line here is his mentor, veteran screenwriter Howard Brown, brought Roger's work to the attention of the Rockford Files. Who's this Howard Brown fellow? Howard Brown wrote the episode Sleight of Hand, which we did way back in our archive, but which was the one that was based on the novel, uh, yeah. uh, Thin Air. And we talked about, you know, how interesting that was for the show. Season one, right? Yep. I mean, among many other things, but that's his Rockford Files connection. So, yeah. interesting. That is interesting. And this episode is directed by William William Ward. Oh, yeah. Our good friend with his many, many episodes. Are we even remotely close to doing a complete William? A complete William? We have yeah. Angelitude and a complete William. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
think not. 26 episodes. I think we might be almost halfway with his. Wow. Like that. Yeah. In many ways, our podcast is a William Yard podcast. <laughs> Again, William Yard also directed Sleight of Hand. Yeah, I'd say we're maybe a little over halfway. Yeah. Considering that we've done some of the two-parters. Anyway, stay tuned, Rockford Files fans. Maybe in another another year, year and a half, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll finish out the... We'll do a full William. We'll, we'll do the full William. So I, I was a little interested to see that this was not written by a series regular writer. Right. Because it doesn't feel particularly out of step with other Rockford Files episodes, but it does have a little bit of that, like, bizarre premise that I associate mostly with a canal script. Right. <laughs> yes. Who knows how much interaction there is with all that stuff. I was thinking of David Chase. I was going to say, like, I guess notably, there's no mob. Right. <laughs> like, there's everything but the mob in this one. David, take a break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is coming right after some of the, some pretty mobby ones, so... I mean, in the airing order. Anyhow, uh, we do not have the mob, but we do have a hitman. Yeah. <laughs> Epi, would you like to tell us about the preview montage where we meet Mr. Jones? Yes. Uh, yeah, so my first note here is Angel in Hitman cosplay. He remains in Hitman cosplay throughout the entire episode. It is wonderful. There's just something about Angel's version of what uh, someone on the mean streets would look like. Okay, very specifically, what I love about the, the preview montage captures right away is Angel is someone who has, who personally knows Hitman. Right. <laughs> and, and he's such a Hollywood understanding of what a Hitman would be. We know that he knows actual Hitman, but he is playing like a 40s spy version. Yeah. From a movie. It's exquisite. Uh, there's some great lines in there. Like we are men without a country. We are wanted. It, it has this, um, threat at the ending there where they, the, they have angel, the, whoever they are, some sort of goons and who are like, you had to realize that you were chosen because you'd be eliminated after a fact or something like that. And then we see angel with, at the time when I wrote this, I was like, does he have a rolled up sock in his mouth? <laughs> we learned later it's gauze. In any case, it is a really satisfying scene. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the scene with Angel. Something shoved in his mouth and he can't respond. Yep. Uh, we also see Jim threatening Angel, of oh, course. Yes. So we're going to get a lot of that. And we also have a shot in the preview montage of Jim eating something wrapped in a tortilla. This has a very satisfying Jim gets to eat scene, which... Oh, yes. Look forward to that, everyone. Hello, listeners. This is a quick break before we get into the episode to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This show is free to all, but the support from patrons really goes a long way. So we always extend a special thanks to our gumshoes. This time we say thank you to Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Check out the site for reviews of books, games, movies, comics, and more. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, you're playing games online, so check out his dice-rolling app Roll for Your Party at rollforyear.party. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and Dave Otterson. And finally, we cannot thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Big thanks to Kevin Brown, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. 
Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about all the media we're currently enjoying and things going on in our lives. Help out the show by leaving a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Well, we start off this episode with a black and white spy film grain effect. Um, so it's like black and white with like the black, uh, I don't know what you would call those, little like location markers. So you Framing box or something. Yeah. Or- um, with a little circle in the middle. Uh, so someone is clearly spying on and recording this meeting between Angel and his full hitman cosplay, as you say, uh, dropping off a folder and exchanging passcodes with a, a man in a cowboy hat. The, the passcodes are one... So the man with the cowboy hat says something like... Hey, you like bluegrass, mister? I like all kinds of music. I don't like jazz. I don't either. <laughs> The framing of this with the black and white and an angel's costume and the passcodes, the the elaborateness of them, um, I kept waiting for a director to call cut. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kept waiting for us to realize that Angel was like cast into a into a movie or something, and to find out how he's frustrating this director or something. <laughs> like I like that was the expectation, and so as it kept going, I was like, "Wait a minute, what is happening here?" <laughs> like so, Angel's costume we should mention because again, he does wear it the entire episode. Yes, so he's in black leather jacket, black pants, big thick black leather gloves. And dark sunglasses. Yes. So it's like a greaser by way of a 40s spy. Yes. Or perhaps the other way around. It's great because I was thinking about, like, why is this so weird on him? Because it does, he looks strange. Yeah. Part of it is the gloves because they make his hands so big. He has, like, Mickey Mouse hands. Um, But I think part of it is also we usually see him in, like... Well, the very last episode, like, colorful patterns. mm -hmm, Like, really garish. Big lapel. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of color and and kind of chaotic look. He's trying to give off an air of wealthiness most of the time. Mm-hmm. And here he's trying to give off an air of bad attitude. Of deadliness. Right? Deadliness, yes. I'm going to say it right now. It is a, an absolute delight. And I won't go on about it throughout the whole mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am in love with this version of Angel. I'll just leave it at that. Well, uh, his, his client here wants it done right away. Um, and is giving him a envelope of $5,000 in cash. And that's the half now. And you'll get the other half on, on completion. He says the line, like we want it done right away. And Angel goes, well, you want in one hand and you spit in the other and you see which one gets full first. Now I, I use this line all the time. My variation is a little more graphic. Yeah. I think the, the standard saying, uh, is a little more scatological. Yeah, and it's usually you wish or you hope in one hand mm-hmm. rather than want. But I love this line. This is one of my favorite cranky old man lines <laughs> that I've been using my entire life. This is his badass persona. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So we go from here to a slow pan of, you know, the the real camera, our camera, uh, to, to see who is watching this this recorded footage. Yeah. And it's this group of people in a room 
Oh, there was an establishing shot before we went to the footage of yeah. like a consulate with a Russian flag or a Soviet flag, I should yeah, say. Yeah, Soviet flag, yeah. So we see the Soviet flag outside this building. Then we go to the spy, black and white. Then we come back to the people watching this film inside this building. When they eventually talk, they're speaking in what I assume is Russian and it's subtitled. Um so we see that there are people watching this. Then we go back to the footage. Angel's leaving. This is this like outdoor seating area on a pier or something. He's leaving and Jim walks into the frame and he's on a date. Yes. And he goes, oh, hey, Angel. And Angel, you see him whip around as if to like try to avoid being seen, but it's too late. Rockford uh, greets him by name and then asks him, uh, what, what are you, Angel? A clone of Lash LaRue? <laughs> and Angel uh, mutters something and walks away. Very cool and calm, while someone from off-frame yells like, hey, open table for Rockford, so that the people watching get Rockford's name out of this as well. Yeah, I think it's like it's a phone call for Jim Rockford. It's a slightly awkward moment, but you g- get why that's happening. You, yeah. Yeah, For so we know that the people watching. Yeah. Um, I am not familiar with this reference to Lash LaRue. And when I first tried to look it up, I was like, okay, this clearly is not the same Lash LaRue as the wrestler who was active in the late 90s. <laughs> um, I don't know if you you know what this reference was, but apparently he was a uh, an actor uh, in Westerns in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and he was apparently the main inspiration for the character Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just looking at his IMDb, or not IMDb. Uh, There's apparently an 11 film Lash LaRue series. Wow. Where he's playing himself? So the character's name is Lash LaRue. The actor's name is Al LaRue. Oh, right. A little bit of, a uh, little bit of kayfabe. Yeah. This, this is interesting because, um, he also reminds me of, um, there's a DC Comics Western, uh, the bullwhip. But anyways, I'm sure all of this comes together. I'm sure there's Maverick connections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a, a realm I've not delved too deeply into, which is the huge glut of Westerns during their heyday. Right, right, yeah. Huh. Well, they mentioned the Rockford Files episode of Material Difference. Yeah, so if you want to look up Lash LaRue's uh, Wikipedia, you will learn all the things that we just learned. Yes, <laughs> you could. <laughs> you do could be experts like us with just one Google search. Uh, but yes, Angel walks away and we go back to our watchers um, and they're saying that this is a film that was taken a week ago, uh, but Kramer is still alive. Yes. And they don't know where Jones, <laughs> his working name, where Jones is. And there's a line here where someone's like, he's a man of many names. Mr. Jones, Angel, Lash LaRue. <laughs> <laughs> but what about Jimmy Rockford? Jimmy Rockford, is- <laughs> yes. Uh, we then go to an establishing shot of Washington, D.C., February 20th. And we have uh, the, our credits play over this fairly long montage of stuff in Washington. Yes, it's. we just want you to know we're in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, which is important for the next five minutes. <laughs> right. If that. Right. So we come out of the montage and we just see a man walking up to a woman wearing wearing like a... I was going to say like a babushka, but it's not quite, I don't know, just wearing a head yeah. covering on the end of a dock, throwing throwing pieces of bread at birds or whatever. And we have more passphrases back and forth between <laughs> these two. And uh, the man, he wants to see Kramer and something about, he, he, he needs to see Kramer and something about Formula D. Yes, not Formula Day, not the, the racing board game, but uh, no. Formula D. D, as in vitamin. Yes. This woman says that it will cost... 
a thousand dollars to see him and why so much uh because the dollar just took another dip yes and then we go to jim's trailer february 24th so i want to say something about that thousand dollars because i'm trying to figure out if uh so we've obviously we've both seen this episode we know the twists Mm -hmm. uh well the twists that we can know i find that often i don't know the twists until we talk about the episode yeah (laughs) but um we know the uh, the takeaway at the end of this episode, uh, and I think that this thousand dollars is a hint because it's not it's actually not that much money. <laughs> like, yeah, even for inflation, it's about it's a little over five thousand dollars, right? Like that's what it, what it probably is nowadays, and that's I mean that's a lot, but it wouldn't. I would think international secrets would go for more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I've never traded international secrets. Uh, but it it seems to be an indication of what the actual stakes are right. in what's happening here. Yeah, I guess I read it in the moment as like, this is the fee for me to connect you to this person. Right. Yeah, which might be reasonable then. So, but here's my question. One, so I did have some trouble with this episode, and I think it was mostly because of my poor facial recognition. Oh, yeah, yeah, me there's too. There's a lot of <laughs> factions in this episode, and there's lots of men with faces <laughs> lots, of, <laughs> lots of gorillas lots of lots of agents um which who i eventually started realizing i could identify based on what they were wearing yes but i didn't go back to check is this guy is he the naval intelligence guy i don't know if he's the there is a naval intelligence guy right, there's the main naval intelligence guy yeah. who we see later but there's one i recognize by his voice alone yeah because i am not a fan <laughs> Of his voice. Yeah, that's the, like, main one. Yeah. kind of, like, tells us the story at the end. But I think this works if it is the naval intelligence. I think that's who this would have to be. Also, because yeah. we're in D.C. But yeah. I guess I don't know if this man, if this actor, is also one of the other goons that we see later or not. Yeah, I don't think he is. So I would have to go review that again. Yeah. It doesn't matter too much. It, oh, boy, we're going to have ourselves. Here's the thing. This episode... Yeah. Is super fun and the plot doesn't matter. Yes, let's let's do that. But but keeping track of who was who at different times did throw me occasionally. Even now, with the names and the pictures of the actors directly in front of me, I still don't. <laughs> Not quite sure who was who. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we go to Jim's trailer. It is now February twenty fourth. Four days later, I don't remember if we got a a date over the Russian consulate. I don't think we did. I kept it. So I wrote these down because yeah. So there was the episode where, um, uh, Jim is set up, uh, with the, right. the arms deal, like the smuggling yeah. guns. Um, and they have all the like, very like international intrigue, like typed out dates and times. Oh yes. Yes. Right? And it was like yeah. kind of funny. I expected this to do that. And then it didn't, it just gives us these two dates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My notes are Washington DC. Whoa. And then, Paradise Cove. Woo. Woo. <laughs> We're back at home. And that's it. We're done. We're done <laughs> traveling the, the country. Um, and the rest of this just goes on from now. Yeah. <laughs> so Jim is coming out to, you know, he has some business of some kind. He's coming out to his car. Two guys with um, pamphlets mm-hmm. roll up and intercept him. Um, they're with the Church of Divine Metaphysical Awareness. <laughs> and they're, they're talking to people about the future. Jim is more interested in the present than the future. Uh, yeah. He tries to excuse himself, but one of these guys flashes a gun and asks about Angel. 
<laughs> oh, I just wanted to note just how quickly they dropped the mask. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a beat where they are, uh, you know, selling religion. And then the very next beat, oh, no, we're just, we're, we're thugs. Yeah. Like, you knew we were thugs. This reminds me of the previous episode where not... Not Anthony Boyd, but the same actor mm-hmm. is like, this is stupid. We look stupid. He looks stupid. <laughs> like, like, right. Like, why Why are we all pretending? Yeah. They want to get in the car and go somewhere where they can talk about where Angel Martin might be. Jim gives them a good James Rockford, whatever. And then as they close with him, a, a classic Jim maneuver where he yes. slams the open car door against the two of them as they approach him, sending them sprawling. And then he can jump into the Firebird and peel out to make his escape. Um, the goon with the gun gets to his feet and takes some shots at him. And we hear that the gun is silenced. It has a little pew yes. pew. Which made me go, oh, okay. So these are like... These are agents. These are agents of someone. Because only agents use silencers. <laughs> yes. Because that's what TV has taught me. And it also taught you how to perfectly imitate the sound of a silencer. <laughs> pew pew. The uh, there's a a nice little gag. I don't know if this is intentional at all, but the uh, there's a back and forth. I think it's right after they got their gun out. Now, where can we find the man called Angel? I don't know. He he moves around a lot. Why? Never answer a question with a question, Mister Rockford. Let's get in a car and go someplace where we can talk about it. Whatever. They they say never answer a question with a question. Yeah. But. This whole time, they've been answering Jim's questions with questions. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I just I enjoyed that little exchange. Um, I have no idea if that's like an intentional joke. There's a lot of fun dialogue in this in this one, and we will get some more in our next. Oh scene. yeah. So we cut to Angel in a mirror practicing his <laughs> his hitman character, like he has to shake someone down for the money after the job. Yes. And my favorite thing about this is that he is so non-threatening. Yes. Like, the way that he pulls... He has, like, a little pistol, and, the, like, the way that he pulls it out is not threatening at all. Like, it looks like he's yeah. a little scared of it and doesn't want to be doing it. Uh, it's a really good piece of work by uh, by Stuart Margolin. It, I mean, this becomes evident in, in just a few moments, but he's practicing a scene that he never intends to have. Right. This whole con is on just doing the first half, mm-hmm. not the second half. I really love what this says about what's going on with Angel, and maybe what goes on with Angel with every con. He is convincing himself he is the character he's pretending to be, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is not a thing that Angel uh, Angel's plan ever... He never wants to actually kill someone and then collect the money he's just collecting the first half of the money so why would he have to practice these scenes about being a badass about collecting the second half of the money he doesn't right. like he's it's him pretending to be uh, a hitman he's 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 a kid he's 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 enjoying pr- playing pretend right now mm-hmm. and uh it's it's a delight um he is interrupted by a knock on the door uh it's jim of course so he has all this money, too, because he has the money from his oh, yeah. first half, you know, payment, uh, which he was using in his little scene. <laughs> yes. You just call me Mr. Jones. Now, you got some back sheets? You're a thousand short. But are you trying to do a number here? I don't play, owe me. You either pony up or you take the pipe. Whatever. So he stuffs that and the gun into his pocket and goes over and tries to claim that. Uh, Wait a minute, Jimmy. I'm uh, 
be right with you. I got kind of a flu where I didn't bite you in, Jimmy, but uh, <coughs> why don't you give me a call and we'll talk it out on the horn later. Huh? We'll talk now. Hey, what's the matter? What are you angry at me for? What did I do? Jim is very mad. We yes. see a lot of Jim being mad in this episode. Uh, he, he lays out that guys with guns tried to shake him down for where angel is so you know what have you been up to yeah what's going on now angel has this line that i think is a wonderful little meta moment for the rockford files where he says you're always getting into this kind of trouble jimmy yeah it's like that's your bag isn't it (laughs) like you are always getting into the kind of trouble where i accidentally you accidentally drag you into a situation so good Jim sees the the cash poking out of his pocket and uh, grabs it and it's wrapped around that gun. And he's like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Angel says that uh, he's fixed the gun so that it doesn't go off accidentally. He's like filed down the firing pin or something. He's like, it's all for show, (laughs) which I love. Then he goes into how he has the sweetest scam where, as you say, he is impersonating this hitman. Uh, He takes the half up front and then he just fades away. He's only done it once so far, so this is the first, you know, gig. Uh, but he did just have the ad put into International Mercenary Magazine. No, I didn't look this up. I, I actually kind of want to look this up. Because I remember, as a kid, around this time, uh, a friend of mine had a copy of Soldier of Fortune mm-hmm. magazine. I wonder if International Mercenary was an actual magazine. It, I think it would be. <laughs> it had a good title like the typesetting on the title was very yeah was very very good but it did strike me as a prop magazine so yeah i but these sorts of things did exist and i feel like they they existed for the sake of angels <laughs> for 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 grifters yes yeah and for like little rural boys like myself to sit in a farm field dreaming of a day when we'd i guess go out and because, like, the, the, we would mainly go through the ad section. <laughs> they had, like, throwing stars for right. sale or yeah. nunchucks or, like, learn martial arts or something like that. Yeah. I, so I don't know if this actual one existed, but, like, the concept existed. Oh, yeah. It was a thing. So, Jim, I think, of course, he's the flaw in this plan, which is that, well, you have burned a client. And so now they're coming after you because you didn't do the thing that they paid you to do. Yes. So he wants to go to the cops. And Angel, of course, can't go to the cops. Yeah. Ruin the whole thing. Uh, Jim tries to get who his client was out of him. He said it was an anonymous uh, rhinestone cowboy. Uh, and then he tries to pitch Jim on taking this game on the road. They could do a circuit. <laughs> While he's making this pitch, he uh, goes over to the fridge, turning his back and giving Jim a chance to find a envelope with a headshot in it. Who, of course, is a is, is the mark that he was supposed to hit. And then Angel tries to claim that it was just a friend of his from, like, the typesetting department at the newspaper. Which, as we know, <laughs> is where he, I think until sometime in this season, worked for his brother-in-law's newspaper. But uh, he stumbles on the name and Jim's like, this is who you're supposed to kill. <laughs> uh, so maybe if they find the victim, people usually don't hire hitmen to kill people they don't know. So right. then they can figure out who hired uh, angel and then go from there and so jim gives him the choice we can do this or i can go to the cops <laughs> and that for angel is no choice at all the scene ends with uh you know jim hustling angel out and angel kind of mutters under his breath you might be right about the repercussions on this deal why didn't i think of that <laughs> we just get the greatest 
James Garner eye roll. Yes. <laughs> on the way out of the scene. I also want to uh, put a shout out to Angel's ad copy, which is let Mr. Jones make your bones. <laughs> so Angel, of course, has an address for this person because mm-hmm. uh, he got all the info. He just was never going to try to kill him. Uh, and it is a laundry that is called Kramer's. The Kramer that perhaps yeah. we heard in that first scene of Kramer still alive. Uh, it's closed. They go around the back, and while Jim looks in the van that's parked back there to look at the registration, Angel peeks in the back window, and he sees a body lying on the floor. Um, the camera just shows us, like, the lower, like, two-thirds of the body, and then later Angel mentions that, that like, his face is gone, like he was shot in the face. Yeah. That's important for later, but in that moment, when he said that, I was like, oh, okay. The camera does not show us that part. Yeah. We, we see Angel being horrified. Yes. But the, um, it, it seems a little out of proportion to like, yeah, just there's a body, but then it's Angel. So, of course, he's going to be horrified. Yeah. One of the clues is that Angel's not like, Jimmy, 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 we got to get out of here. You know, like it's he's actually in shock of some sort. Yeah. But I don't pick up on that. Angel um, doesn't tell Jim. That he sees this body. Mm-hmm. And so as they go back to the Firebirds to follow up on the guy's home address, Angel starts going, you know, what if the guy had an accident while I was supposed to kill him? Like, he <laughs> fell down or got electrocuted or something. Then I'd be off the hook, right? And Jim explains that, uh, no, that would be too coincidental. It would not yeah. not help you out. And then we see in the adjoining storefront, an old man with a mustache uh, watches them drive away. Uh, it looks like we cut for a commercial break and we come back with a police car that is arriving to talk with same mustachioed man who <laughs> says that he heard two shotgun blasts. And then he describes the Firebird as the getaway car. And he yes. has the license plate number, of course. Firebird. Kind of a copper color. Fancy wheels on it. Fancy wheels <laughs> on it, yeah. Um, so this kind of gives a bit of a timeline, I think, that it's like they just missed it. Mm-hmm. Like the shotguns happened. Then between when the guy heard them and he came to the front, that's when the Firebird arrived. So yeah. whatever this timeline was, was pretty pretty short. And then we see two goons in suits roll up uh, to the scene, and they see the cop car and say that it uh, looks like they're a little late. Check the radio band, the police band on the radio, and see what's happening. I thought that these were the missionaries just in suits. So my notes at this point were lots of parties in play. Yeah. Are these the Bible thumpers? I don't think so. <laughs> they are not, but I thought they were, which confused me until I realized that they were not. So, yes, we have, the, we have the, the missionaries, and now we have goons in suits. Yeah. So those, those are who are in play currently, uh, plus the police. Sometimes I take ridiculous notes. My very next note here says, I knew it was coming, and I loved it anyway. I don't remember what I'm talking about, so I'm looking forward to hearing. <laughs> so our, our next scene is Jim and Angel in the Firebird on the road, and Angel needs to use the bathroom. Um, so Jim pulls over somewhere. <laughs> I know what it is. (laughs) We all know where this goes. We have this great sequence where Jim watches Angel go to the bathroom that's on the outside of this, like, gas station or whatever. And we see, like, on his face him make kind of like a resigned eyebrow raise. Like, we have to play through this. Yeah. (laughs) Angel goes in the front. Then we cut to the back. We see Angel climbing out of the back window. He comes around the corner and Jim is standing there waiting for him to come around the back corner. And Angel tries to explain that... I was trying to open the door. I couldn't bang it away on it. Nobody heard it. Stow it, Angel. Your beard's beginning to sweat. (laughs) It's such a good line. Uh, As a bearded man, 
I have had moments where my beard starts to sweat. Are they when, after you witnessed a murdered body and then you're trying to escape from your best friend because you don't know what he's going to do once he learns the truth? It, it was after a very similar incident where I took a shot of ghost pepper hot sauce. Oh, okay. <laughs> I assume those are very similar feelings. <laughs> uh, Jim could tell that something was wrong in the car, uh, and Angel admits that he saw the, the body of Kramer. Uh, he's already dead. So Jim's like, okay, there's a body involved. We're going to the cops right now. Yeah. And then we have one of our great narrative devices of television. So a cop car pulls up to take a break or something. Like, they're just yeah. in the... Um, in the parking lot and jim pulls angel by the arm he has his like hand on the arm like he yes. does when he's like guiding a female friend through a space but he's like grabbing angel in that same spot on his upper arm pulls him over to the cop car as they approach the apb for the firebird in relation to this 187 at kramer's cleaners comes over their radio. And so the guy's like, oh, excuse me for a moment, sir. And he looks down and he writes the notes as he's listening to the thing, including the license plate number. Ocean King George. (laughs) And he looks back up and he's like, can I help you? And Jim gives the embarrassed smile. (laughs) The tire pressure on your front tire there looks a little low. That might be dangerous. Okay, bye. (laughs) Uh, And then Angel just makes relentless fun of Jim. Yes. No, he's a, a good citizen. He's going to do what's right. And, you know, if someone's dead, then the police should be involved. And then as soon as his skin's in the game. Yeah. It is very good, but it is a poor calculation on Angel's part. Yes. So they go, they walk past the Firebird because Jim's like, as soon as they see the Firebird, we're done. Right. So they abandon the Firebird, which I think is uh, notable. Yes. And they go over and they're at like a fence kind of on the other end of this area. Angel's making fun of Jim, and then Jim just loses it. (laughs) Yeah, he snaps. I mean, this is, you can feel the full weight of all four and a half seasons before this moment. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying before, um, with the the line from Angel saying, Jimmy, you're always getting yourself in these kinds of messes. This is another one of those that almost breaks the fourth wall. (laughs) It's it's almost Jim uh, being like, why are we still doing this, Angel? And, like, he's so mad. He has his hand around Angel's throat, and he's, like, <laughs> choking yeah. him, which is pretty pretty brutal for yeah for Jim. Angel's driving me crazy. Do you understand? I am going crazy. I can't take it anymore. Jimmy. Years and years and years. I'm going out of my mind. You stupid, ridiculous lies and games year after year. Give me my windpipe. Look at me, look at me, look at me. All right, James, emote. Yeah. Get it all out. (laughs) The part that really struck me is that he's like, the stupid, ridiculous lies year after year. Like like you say, he invokes the multiple years of this behavior. I, at least I saw that he is so mad that he can't believe how mad he is. Yes. Like, he's like, look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah he does. Like, look at what you've done to me. It is, it is gorgeous. And then we uh, end with Angel, just with a very, very quiet. Hey, Jimmy. What? I'm sorry. Stick a fruit gum. <laughs> so and the look on because he accepts it right yeah. like it's this wonderful moment it's not that 
it's a wonderful moment. It's it's not a moment where Angel is forgiven. It's it's sort of like a moment of like, okay, this is what it is. We're moving forward. It's kind of a moment of acceptance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's very good. It is very good. Pretty much any episode that focuses on the Angel draws Jim into trouble trope. Yeah. We talk about, you know, we talk about this stuff. I'm pretty sure I brought it up. So in our, uh, the last time we really focused on this was uh, when we did Drought at Indian Head River, which is the one where Angel is like the, the patsy for like the mob, like development uh, scam, like land development scam. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So he's like living the high life with all this money that isn't actually his. Yeah. Um, I think, is that? Yeah, that's one where he's Angelo. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and he eats the snails and. Sorry, I'm looking at our tags on our website to remind me of these. Uh, of course, snails would be part of the tags. Right. And and the Wawa, it was like, oh, Angel owns the Wawa or something like that. Oh, yes, yes. Anyway, so that has a scene where, where Jim snaps and like we get the close. I think at the time I'm like, I think this is the closest we ever see Jim to like not being friends with Angel anymore, to like abandoning, yes. like, why are we even friends? And I think Angel apologizes. Um, and then I, I think at that time, I just not remembered this episode because <laughs> this is closer. Like I said, that was our episode 51. That episode is in season three. So just looking at it as a linear timeline, you know, at the beginning yeah. of season three, Jim was already yes. at the he end was. of his rope with Angel. And yeah. now we're <laughs> almost at the end of season five. And and it's even worse. Guys with guns are just walking up to him and being like, take us to Angel. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's good. It's good stuff. But that apology is key yes. at the end. Yes. It, I mean, we talk about this, and we probably talked about it back then, but, like, a thing that sometimes gets overlooked in these is the... You ha- you still have to show the characters being friends in the end mm-hmm. to explain why anyone's on the hook for anyone else, right? Like, wh- why would Jim be on the hook for helping Angel out if they weren't in some fashion friends? Right. Yeah, and I think this is the admission here where Angel's like, I actually need you in my life. Yes. Here, have a stick of fruit gum. We go from there to police headquarters where uh, Dennis is uh, helping a man in a uniform who we shortly learn is from Naval Intelligence go through a mug book. And he finds a picture of Angel, which I did not recognize because it is a picture with no beard and a big handlebar mustache. <laughs> it is an amazing, wonderfully out-of-date picture of Angel. This is a good episode or a good scene doing multiple things scene where we get some exposition in their conversation, which we'll get into. But we also see that Dennis is being put in a bad position because Lieutenant Chapman is bending over backwards to help naval intelligence but naval intelligence isn't giving anything to the to to becker who is kind of in charge of whatever this investigation is going to be so uh the exposition here is that this this naval intelligence officer has reason to believe that angel has taken on a contract to kill someone named kramer Chapman comes in uh, with the information that Rockford's car was ID'd, leaving the scene of the shooting at Kramer's. They're known associates. We'll put out the APB for both of them. Um, and he offers to take this one off of Becker's hands. Yes. The the motivation here for Chapman is interesting because this seems to be... Uh, at first I was like, oh yeah, Chapman would just wants to get at Rockford, which makes sense. Like right. that's, that's a thing that, that we see a lot of. 
but I, I think he feels like there's good publicity in it for him. Like yeah. there's that angle as well, which is interesting. And we see that play out because the clash that ends up happening between the police and naval intelligence is about publicity. Yeah. Yeah, because Lieutenant Chapman, I don't remember if it's in this scene, but there are other scenes at least where we can't say that to the press because that makes us look like chumps. Yeah. <laughs> and, naval, and the naval guy's like, I don't care what you look like, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so Becker's kind of caught in the middle where he's the one who has to actually work with this guy, but this guy isn't telling him anything. Like, why do you think Angel got a contract? Oh, we can't tell you. Right. Why is Kramer a target? That's not a, That's not something you need to know. In another perfect timing moment, uh, Rockford gives a call to Dennis. There's actually yes. a, like a like a message from like a switchboard. Sergeant Becker, there's a Rockford for you. <laughs> um, so that n- there's no deniability whatsoever. Chapman says to talk him in, and he's going to trace the call. Right? Yes. Uh, this is not not one of the greatest uh, Becker Jim phone calls of this type that we've seen, but it is uh, it is fun enough where Jim's calling from a payphone and his first question to dennis is basically like so theoretically yes if you were a witness after the fact to a murder but you were wanted in connection with the murder would you get immunity in exchange for your testimony (laughs) (laughs) and and becker says that uh you know it's not up to him he'd have to talk to the da why don't you come in and we'll talk about it (laughs) and that's when jim hears a click on the line which he knows is they're now tracing the call uh what, what is interesting is that like it seems like jim wouldn't need to even hear that click right yeah it's just the way dennis is responding to him that jim should be like all right dennis i think anytime they have a normal conversation yeah (laughs) if dennis isn't yelling at him for for bringing this up right if dennis isn't going what have you gotten yourself into right well and also i think if dennis uses the phrase why don't you come in and we'll talk about it yes i think rockford knows like he never says that when they're just talking. Yes. <laughs> so then uh, Becker asks, asks if he is nearby, and he says that, yeah. Yeah, I'm playing ball in the fast lane of the freeway because I'm stupid. I don't know from last week. Right, Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> and then he hangs up. Such a good line. My favorite bit here is he hangs up, and then Angel checks to see if to get, like, the quarter. Coined, yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect angel moment. Uh, Chapman, of course, is mad. He only needed 30 more seconds. Because that's a real thing. <laughs> they, he only needed 30 more seconds for the telephone trace? Yeah, I don't I remember. I don't know what it was back in Rockford's day, but that certainly isn't the case. It is it is one of those things that they do for television cop things now to create drama about the phone call that it, it just isn't the case. They just know. Like, you know what the number is. So yeah. you know where the phone is. It's a payphone, but... Yeah. And by you, I mean the phone companies. I don't know anything about tracing phone calls. I do know that um, the horror movie, the 70s horror movie, Black Christmas, has some great things that they do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the name of it. Um, th- there were some remakes of it, so make sure you get the older one, because that's the one that, that has some good things going down with that, if you're into that. The, the modern version of that, of course, is is uh, uh, rerouting your signal so through the right. internet. So yes. <laughs> it seems like it's coming from a different IP address. Anyway, uh, we, we cut to our goons in the car who, have, who are monitoring the police band, and they hear the APB go out for Angel and Rockford, which includes the address in Malibu, I think, yeah. um, or in Paradise Cove. But the name Rockford they key into. The guy who's driving's like, all right, let's go. Surf's up. <laughs> so we should know, not may, maybe not by now in the 
fiction, but you and I should know who these people are right now. Here, I was like, okay, these are different than the missionary guys. Mostly because they were like, if they were the missionary guys, they've already been to that address, so they know. Versus these guys are like, oh, let's connect the name Rockford to this address. Let's go check it out. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, they are different. They're not just those guys in suits. Yes. (laughs) Right, so now we have the missionary guys, we have these guys, and we have Naval intelligence. That is uh, quite the collection. Who have all been established, I think, as not being connected. Because why would the guys in the car, if they were naval intelligence, they wouldn't need to listen to the police band, right? Anyway, we then go to Rocky driving a red pickup. And I immediately, in my notes, I'm like, that's a different pickup. Yes. That's not Rocky's truck. Somebody made a mistake. (laughs) Jim then pops up because he's been, like, hiding in the seat next to him. And Angel is there, too. And they're pulling into Rocky's house. Uh, Jim pops up and is like, all right, do you mind if we take your truck? And the first line out of Rocky's mouth is, this is a loaner the truck agency had, so be careful with it. (laughs) So thank you for telling us, longtime viewers who are invested in Rocky's truck, that your truck is okay and this is a loaner. Yeah, I had a moment, uh, because right, this could go one of two ways. This is either, we're just quick explaining why this isn't the truck you're seeing, or this is a... uh, how do we rack up costs for Jim here? Oh, <laughs> we could put him on on the you know on the hook for for damage to a loner or you know something like that. Mm-hmm. It's probably the former. It, <laughs> I mean, nothing bad happens to this truck. I think it's just for for the for the Rockford fans. Yeah, to explain why we're in a different truck. I think <laughs> that's all it is. They drop Rocky off and then take the truck. Um, Angel still has the address where he was supposed to meet his client to get the rest of his money after the job oh i do want to point out because this this comes back a little bit later rocky's attitude towards angel here oh, yeah. is magnificent he's like so long sonny angel <laughs> <laughs> i have never seen rocky so catty it's so dismissive yeah yeah oh it's good he's well he's clearly mad at angel and yes. i mean he always doesn't really like angel but i think his feeling about angel fluctuates in proportion with Jim's. So yeah. when Jim needs to butter Angel up, like for example, giving him you know a full fried chicken dinner, yes, <laughs> Rocky's on board. But when Jim's mad at Angel, as we'll see, yeah. Angel is not welcome to any of the food in his house. <laughs> yes, we'll get to that later. We're going to take a quick break so that everyone can walk around, stretch, get a refreshing beverage of choice, and uh, find out where you can find us on the internet when we're not talking about the Rockford Files. Of course, 200 a day can be found at 200aday.fireside.fm, patreon.com slash 200 a day, and on Twitter at 200pod. You can also email us at 200adaypodcast at gmail.com. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you elsewhere on the internet? Uh, you can find my games at digathousandholes.com. That's dig and then the number 1000 and then holes.com. Or you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you upon this internet? All of my stuff, including my game design, my freelance graphic design and layout work, and other projects that I do, like zines and podcasts, are at ndpdesign.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, 
Uh, I'm also on Instagram at the same handle where you can see pictures of my dog. I hope you're comfortable with your favorite beverage in hand as we return you now to the show. They're going to go and see if they can meet this meet this client. Uh, maybe if they can grab the guy who hired Angel. Maybe then they can deal that with the cops. Angel figures that if he's if the guy's going to die when he was supposed to kill him, he might as well get paid for it. Um, we are uh, on some kind of warehouse dock area. There's a battleship in the background, so <laughs> that's uh, yeah. pretty cool. Jim tells Angel to go for by those bins and look like you know what you're doing. Uh, Angel hangs out for a, for a beat, and then a yellow van comes out of nowhere and pulls up to him. And it is indeed our cowboy uh, with... I was like, is the other guy one of the missionaries? And then I think, yes. But there's another guy in the passenger seat, right? Yeah, my, my notes are... At this point, I'm like, I, I literally, I'm lost. I don't know who this is. And then I'm like, oh, there's a chase. <laughs> right. So the cowboy hat guy gives Angel the envelope with his, like, payment. Angel's in character here, which is not like he's yep. not like he's all afraid and, and, and nervous and everything with Jim. But then when he's like on, he's back in his like yeah. cool guy, hitman persona. Um, but then when the van pulls away, uh, the other guy, the other missionary leans out of the back and starts taking shots at Angel. Oh, no. Thankfully, there's the pile of bins there. So he ducks and then Jim rolls over to pick him up and the chase is on. Uh, I think the keys here are Jim going, all we have to do is push him. We'll pick up the cops sooner or later. And Angel going, Jimmy, don't push him no more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you, how did you feel about this chase? It was fun. Um, I think the main thing I thought about it was that it came at just the right moment to keep me from thinking about what's going on. Because mm-hmm. like, I'm still going, I don't, I don't know all the characters in play. We've now associated the cowboy with the missionaries. But, I mean, I already associated him with them, I think. Jim was already making that association, right? Right. Jim was already figuring that they were the ones who were coming after Angel for not fulfilling the contract. Yes. But anyways, I like, you know, it hit this moment where I was thinking about it and then uh, they flew into it. I remember thinking distinctly at the very beginning, oh, they've they've picked this location mm-hmm. to do some interesting things. But now I can't actually remember any interesting thing they did with the chase. No, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so Jim is basically trying to keep keep the pressure on so that either they'll make some mistake and crash, maybe. Or, mm-hmm. as he says, we'll pick up the cops sooner or later. So I think the goal is to get get them going and then like someone's going to call the cops or they'll pass a cop and then they'll all get pulled over and then, yeah you know a, a standard uh rockford maneuver but it fails because of a, a, a somebody unrelated to the chase is having car problems right and and creates a bit of a traffic jam yeah i don't remember the there's a car that's stuck when the semi comes out that's why the semi oh. stops where it is because yes, it can't yeah. get past okay. this car that's stuck I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. That seems about right. My pulse was pounding at the time. So, so the van shoots through this like entryway into another like yard of some kind. This yeah. is all like industrial yards, and then a semi is pulling out, and then it stops blocking the entire entryway, and so yeah, uh, Rockford and, and Angel cannot pursue. Um, he opens the envelope, which is a folded pamphlet from the uh, that one of the missionaries was holding missionaries i'm you know in quotes uh yeah. <laughs> from the church of divine metaphysical awareness and a suicide note signed by angel <laughs> yes 
Uh, but he's like seen the the error of his wicked ways and he can't stand his own life anymore or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a pretty transparent effort, but also maybe they're figuring on uh, no one really caring too much about what happens to Angel. Yeah. We go back to Jim's trailer, which has been torn apart, and our two goons in suits are uh, coming out of the bedroom in the back of the trailer. And they're, they're tossing the place looking for the formula. Yes. This is the second time we've heard of the formula, right? And I was like, right, there's a formula. Right, I know. <laughs> One of the guys says uh, that he found some genes back there. New ones? Nah. And I wrote that down because it was funny. And in context, it's like, so these guys are looking for a formula. And this guy's like, oh, by the way, so I found some genes. Turns out this is important. But I think I think this is intended to be kind of like a funny moment here. Yeah. And then they build on it later. It also had me thinking about if I've ever seen Jim in jeans. Right. And I don't I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's some like maybe when he's on the beach, maybe yeah. when he's like coming back from fishing. Uh, but they do find Rocky's picture and, you know, his name. And, and so they can get his address and go look up, look up Pops. Yes. Um, and we cut to them pushing right into Rocky's house when he opens the door. Yeah, danger. They want to know if Rockford said anything about a formula or stashed anything in the house. And Rocky, of course, isn't going to tell them anything. And they sit him down and start tossing the place. They come in, they ask him about it, and he answers their question with a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? And then in the, the single most effective moment, uh, he's, get out of my house. Go on, get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. That's very good. Um, Jim and Angel uh, return and they see the goon's car in his driveway. Um, Jim sneaks around and sees what's happening through a window. So he goes to the house next door, where of course he knows the people, and uh, makes a phone call to Rocky. This is a good bit of Rockfordishness. Mm-hmm. This is a good con that he pulls here. I, I'm, I just, I, I love what he does with this. My favorite part about it is that he's making the call, and in the background is just like a woman cooking. Yes, and it's just so <laughs> casual, and it's like, oh yeah, he just knows these people because they're yeah. the neighbors of his dad. Uh, of course, you could use the phone. Go back yeah. to my eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so inside, one of the guys comes out of the, the bedroom, and he has a stack of jeans. <laughs> And he says that some of them look new, and uh, they'll run them through the lab just in case. I was like, oh, okay, the jeans are actually important. They're not just weirdos who are like, oh, I might steal some jeans from like from time to time. <laughs> Again, my notes. What the hell is with the jeans? And then such a mystery. <laughs> like it just. <laughs> uh, the phone rings. Uh, the goon with the gun tells Rocky to be careful about what he says. Jim calls and says that he's gonna keep the truck for a while. He's down at the pier on a payphone, waiting for a guy that's supposed to meet Angel. And then yeah. he, he makes it sound like, oh, someone's coming, Angel's waving, I gotta go. This manufactured urgency being a hallmark of uh, Jim's cons. Both to keep people from thinking and also to get them to act. So they buy it. Um, they're like, let's go down to the pier. Yeah. They leave, take all the jeans, except... For a couple pairs, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Jim then pops in the back and he's like, oh, it's just next door. Who were they, Dad? Did they say? No, they didn't say. But those are the kind of guys that'll do anything. Those are the kind of guys that start out by lying to their own father. Oh, you've heard of. Yeah, I heard it on the TV news before those fellas got here. Because he heard the APB on the news and realized that the only reason that Jim wanted to borrow his truck was because the Firebird was hot. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Angel comes in the back. Yeah. And goes right to the fridge, which Rocky yells at him to stay out of the fridge. 
Yeah, uh, the business between Angel and Rocky with that fridge is just wonderful. Uh, it's worth watching the episode for that. Just the, so angry with them. And Angel not respecting it in any way. Not only does he not uh, respect it, he talks back. He's like, we've been on the road all day. I'm starving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rocky explains what happened and says that, uh, and then they took my jeans. $18 a pair. Oh. I think with our uh, back of the envelope, it's like, what, 80-ish? Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. And, and uh, you know. Not great jeans, but not cheap jeans. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you would, if if you took an armload of them, you'd feel it, right? Yeah. Like, you'd be like, wow, they just stole several hundred dollars worth of clothing from me. <laughs> <laughs> While they're having this business, uh, Angel has brought stuff out of the fridge. And I missed exactly what it was. It's herring. It is such an angel food. Yeah, he asks if he can finish the jar of herring. Yeah. And Rocky says, no, I'm tired of feeding you. Yes. They're not chronologically related, but coming from our last episode yeah. where he cooked an entire fried chicken dinner for Angel, I appreciated it. Let's see. Rocky mentions the naval intelligence guy in context of, then they asked that naval intelligence guy something on the, you know, in the press conference. And of course he said no comment. And so this brings that involvement to Jim's attention. Uh, there's this physical action during all this where Angel is still trying to get the jar open and he can't. So he hands yes. it to Jim and Jim opens it and hands it back to Angel. <laughs> yeah, the business is great in this one. Angel has a thought. These guys stole your jeans, right? And Kramer, <laughs> he ran a dry cleaner, right? And then there's a beat and Jim's like, and? Well, that's it. That's what I got. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Which reminded me of the bit in uh, Gear Jammers where Rocky does a similar thing where he's like, these guys stole these trucks and those trucks had oranges in them or whatever. Yeah. And then it's like, like I'm just saying they're related. Yeah. Like, you're the detective. I'm going to do all of your job. Um, before Angel can get anything out of the jar, Rocky takes the jar away. <laughs> so good. Back to Dennis and the naval intelligence guy. Um who is going through a drawer that was taken from Kramer's. Dennis is displeased because they're going through police evidence without mm -hmm. authorization or whatever. Look, uh, Lieutenant Chapman said it was okay for me to go through whatever I wanted. Poor Dennis. There's a thing going on here uh, that I didn't delve too deeply into, but I think that there is a, I don't want to say complex, but there's a story going on with, with Dennis Chapman and the Naval Intelligence. Dennis yeah. is, is a little suspicious of him, and there's a read in here where I can't figure out if Dennis is actively running interference for Jim, because Jim's his friend, or if Dennis just kind of hates that the Naval Intelligence is all up in his business and is trying to, you know... I feel like it's more the second, but probably influenced by the first. Yeah. You get the feeling that there's, like, another episode here where the focus is on the police department. Right. And, like, <laughs> all the machinations of Naval Intelligence and finding out about Jim and stuff, but, like, we're actually watching that political drama play out while Jim and Angel are running around. Yeah. There's not a ton of screen time to it, but the amount of frustration that Dennis has in every scene with this naval intelligence guy is palpable. Yes. That scene ends with a naval intelligence guy giving a call to the naval intelligence officer in San Diego. Then we go to Jim, Rocky, and Angel. Uh, Jim talks through what they know so far. Got to get back to square one. There's too much going on, which is fair. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's touch base for the audience, figure out what we know. 
I mean, like we've seen this from Jim several times before. This is one of his 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 maneuvers. Is like, wait, wait a minute. This is too weird. Like, let's... and he actually does it twice in this episode. Yeah. This is the first time. And it's a it's a framework. It's a it's a structure for the show for an episode like this where there's a lot of like plot going on. Yeah. Usually around halfway, a little after halfway, they'll have one of these scenes to 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 ground the audience a little bit into like, okay, here's what's important. Yeah. They're going to drop Rocky at LJ's. So LJ reference. Yay. um, To keep him safe. And then Jim wants to go to the church that those missionaries came from, or where the pamphlet came from. So I will say this, this scene is great and we'll go through it. Mm -hmm. This, I guess this conceit or this plot point of those two guys were actually part of this church totally threw me. I spent the entire first part of the episode being like, they just picked that up somewhere and that was just a cover to talk to Jim. But then the fact that they actually are involved with this church, it just feels weird to me for some reason. Okay, so this is deep cover, right? Okay, fine. That's that's great. But then But there's also the dentist's office? Yes, exactly. And then you're and and at that point it's like Like so you have two covers? Are are the KGB everywhere? Right. Like is any who's not KGB? That's all I want to know. Oh yeah, so spoiler alert, these guys are KGB. Sorry. <laughs> I thought the Soviet flag gave it away. <laughs> well, I did think that there was a little bit of a confusion for me also about like clearly the KGB is involved from that establishment but they were reviewing the tape and so that didn't make it clear to me that they were the same people who hired Angel exactly I thought they were spying on the other guy and we know that the the people that hired Angel had this cowboy right so they had the cowboy, the Bible thumpers. Right. Okay, so those two groups are connected. Like, the cowboy's not, like, a group, but he's a group, right? Like, he's he's a cowboy. Right. <laughs> like, the cowboy, the Bible thumpers, uh, the dentists. <laughs> what? It does get a bit confusing. I think how it's supposed to work is that the pe- – and maybe this, again, was because I didn't recognize faces – like, the people watching that tape were the people going, this guy, Mr. Jones, has not killed the guy we hired him to kill. Yeah. And that's why they were reviewing the tape. Yeah. To track him down. And that makes sense. It's just like, in this moment, I was like, wait, these guys are, are actually associated with this church? <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's maybe one quirk too many for this plot that's already full of quirks. Yeah. That makes it a little non... I mean, it's already a little nonsensical, but that makes it more confusing for me to follow as someone watching at like kind of a more analytical level, but it's fine. And so we can probably at this point guess that the the KGB who were watching the video, right? sorry, the film, uh, killed Kramer. Right. And the reason why they were looking for Angel is they still needed to frame up Mr. Jones. Sure. And, and to get Mr. Jones... To, to commit suicide, right? Like that, they needed to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. It would, but yes, I agree with everything you said, including this next scene is a joy to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this scene might jump right into Malibu Madness contention. Yeah, I, I mean, it's Jimmy and Angel working a con together, and, and when Angel's not at odds with Jimmy about mm-hmm. it, like when he doesn't have something else to get out of it, it's a work of art. Again, you see why they. They do have this connection, why they do work together. So they go to this church. Jim is a lawyer who has been hired by his client, Angel, who is a, a printer. And they he wants to see... So he has the names from when they first 
encountered Jim because they were like, I'm Brother Leonard and I'm Brother Burke or whatever their names are. So Jim wants to see those the brothers, you know, Leonard and, and Burke because they contracted his client, Angel, to print this extremely high-end version of their Bible. Uh, it says they wrote up a $4,500 printing bill and then they have not fulfilled that and so, you know, they're going to sue. The plot points of this scam here are Jim's the reasonable one, Angel keeps on flying off the handle, be yeah. like, I'm going to sue all of you into the ground, I'm going to take everything, right? It's like, no, no, calm down, all we're here to do is to establish, you know, that these two men owe my client this money. Are you really contending that uh, you have never received any of my telephone messages in this regard? None whatsoever. <laughs> I, I find this a little hard to swallow, Brother Randolph, but I think I should advise you that if this should escalate into a full-scale litigation, that your position would be somewhat untenable due to our phone records of... Telephone calls placed, but never answered. Well, we have had some new people on the switchboard, and uh, the place has been rather hectic with the holiday crunch and all. And this very reasonable pastor or whatever he is, guy in charge at this church, uh, he's saying that, well, a purchase order like that would go through the mother church in uh, Milwaukee. We wouldn't handle it. But he keeps, he escalates it a little bit, right? Because he has all these very straightforward, like, deniable things like yeah we didn't approve that even if we did approve it it would go through a murder church they would approve the purchase order we wouldn't buy that like no one called us all this stuff so jim escalates to well then i guess it's gonna have to be a big uh, public trial and i'm sure your church wouldn't want to get dragged through all that bad publicity brother randolph we would like to isolate the church per se but when we're dealing with a public hearing and a fraud case involving two of its members the attendant publicity could result in a stigma. I can imagine a proceeding of this kind not having a negative effect on donations. We would like to avoid that if at all possible. Yes. <laughs> but all we really want to do is establish liability with those two people specifically. Yeah. And so this guy gives in and he's like, okay, I'll see if I can find their addresses, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes to do that. And so it is a successful con. The joy of this scene <laughs> is really the bouncing back and forth between Jim and Angel. And I love when Angel comes in with uh, describing the beautiful printing job that he yes. that he did. Four color prints, plastic overlay in Moroccan leather with parchment for the songs and a photo supplement. You should have seen the Song of Solomon. Beautiful outlay. Thumb index with a concordance. Well, I must admit it all sounds quite uh, impressive. You got that straight. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's yeah, good. it's extremely good. Is this the this is the where he's like, I want to give this gang a holiday crunch they'll never forget. Yes, <laughs> and also we'll take every possible precaution to disavow the church's liability. Uh, uh-uh, uh, forget it. I'm gonna give this gang a holiday crunch they'll never forget. He's the attack dog, and and Jim is the one you know pulling him back on the leash. And then when this 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 guy cooperates, or when it's apparent that he's going to cooperate, <laughs> Angel just dials it all the way back. Like it is just kind of like just like a nice guy about it. Like, oh yeah, no, we can work together. That's fine. <laughs> Jim and Angel just just having like the perfect rhythm for mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Angel is the attack dog, and Jim is the reasonable one. Is so it's so good because it is what they are. Yeah, yeah. It just comes through. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I think what you said uh, uh, earlier is really the great part. Where it's like, where Angel is 
on board with the con and is not trying to undercut it for his own purposes. Yeah. It actually reminded me a little bit of um, one of our recent episodes, uh, Resurrection in Black and White, where where Jim and uh, uh, the reporter, Susan, have their cons where, like, like she falls into that supporting role, like, right off the bat and really enriches it with all the little details. You know, we talked about how great that was in that episode, and we so rarely get to see Angel do that, but he's so good at it. Yes. It was a a really fun scene, which, I guess, ironically enough, just did not need to be in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The slightly straighter line is just like, the missionary thing was just a cover, and there's some other piece of evidence that leads them to that, to the dentist office. Yeah, I mean, like, even the the address for the missionary could be the dentist's office, and that's it. The suicide note is written on one side of a piece of stationery yeah. that has the dentist's office on the back or something. I'm not saying this scene shouldn't be in this episode, because it's great. Yeah. But that's yeah. just, like, that little element of extra complexity to these really one, like, we only need them to be the one thing characters that adds that kind of chaotic sense of, like, what is going on? That's a little much for, I think, the payoff of what they bring to the episode yeah uh that all said they go to that address that they're given and it is a dental clinic uh and jim (laughs) says like it's weird that this isn't a house or an apartment (laughs) (laughs) they pick the lock to break in and we see another little moment of them working together where like jim has angel hold something so that he can like get the lock pick in or whatever there's a little bit when they get in where angel is trying doors almost like well if we're in here maybe i can take some stuff from some things (laughs) (laughs) They do snoot around and find a room full of recording gear and yes. uh, spy stuff, including a cipher machine. And Jim picks up a code book that is in Russian. They're Soviet spies. <laughs> yes. And they do say, so the church thing is just one of their covers. Yeah. A- Angel has uh, this wonderfully naive line. Who do you think? They're like ham operators? Yeah. And Russian spies. Huh? on to me no no i'm serious i think that's it yeah that line's a great funny line and it triggered in my in my notes i'm just like oh man i can get into ham radio don't nudge me but um it also kind of runs this thing where angel the internal mechanism of angel is uh he's got the paranoia but he also has this this bit that's like he can't imagine himself in the full danger that he's in otherwise he'd be panicking so it's almost like this denial thing that he does to to keep himself from going over the edge totally um of course uh before anything else can happen our two missionaries burst into the room guns in hand they have trapped our heroes we go to a commercial when we come back, Jim is thrown into an office and locked in while Angel is strapped into a dentist chair, which is very ominous. <laughs> yes, I feel my nose are just, oh no, dentistry. Uh-uh. And he immediately starts spilling everything he knows, as, as Angel is wont to do. Hey, you're just trying to scare us, right? <laughs> it works. What do you want to know? So this cuts back and forth between Angel in the chair and then Jim in the other room kind of hearing through the wall what's happening and finding a like a scalpel or something so he can cut his because his hands are tied behind his back and he can cut them free. Um, I was unsure whether we were supposed to hear the stuff that he was hearing on my TV. I couldn't really make out right. stuff. It was just murmurs. So I was like, it probably doesn't matter if we hear that or not. But what we do hear in the going back and forth Angel offers to, to tell him everything he knows, but uh, what they want to know is, is where the formula is. They still don't know. They still haven't found the formula. 
This is where we get the line uh, from the preview montage of that uh, Mr. Jones was hired so he could be eliminated after the fact. Yes. Uh, so they, they spin out like some threats and stuff while he has the gauze stuffed in his mouth. Uh, and then when he starts making all the mumbly... Would you kindly remove the cotton? I didn't kill Kramer. I didn't even know it was Kramer till last time. I didn't know nothing about formulas. That's the truth. Then why can't we locate the formula? I don't know. And then Jim manages to short out the power from the office where he has freed himself. So the lights shut down. Uh, one of them goes goes to find the main breaker, while the other one goes in to corral Jim. But Jim is, of course, waiting for him and overpowers him in the in the office. And Jim and uh, Angel escape. My main thing to point out is that it's it's a delight to watch Angel with the gauze in his mouth try to confess everything. <laughs> He's trying as hard as he can. Yeah, a very good scene. But perhaps not as good as the very next scene. So we cut from there to the big neon sign that says Mexican food. And I'm 100% sure we've seen this restaurant before. <laughs> and I think it might be from, this is a while ago, but, oh, actually, maybe it was in, um... Trotted Indian Head River. I don't remember. But I'm associating it with the scene where Angel makes, like, hot sauce soup. Do you remember this? Yes. Wait, no, but he makes that in his own home, I think. Because it's on the hot plate. Oh, you're right, you're right. This is where he, he just keeps dumping hot sauce in, in chili or something. He, or he just keeps crumbling crackers into it or something. That's what it is, yes. I think it's the same episode, whichever yeah. episode that is. Anyway, I'm sure it's the same restaurant that they've shot in before, um, which I appreciate because it's kind of like, this is the good Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Throughout the scene, we get to see Jim have dinner. Yes. <laughs> I would say that he's eating fajitas both because he's actually doing some active rolling of ingredients in a tortilla, and also because he says uh, something like, are you sure you don't want anything? They make great tacos here. Just super salsa. <laughs> but they might be tacos that he's just kind of like assembling into a roll instead of eating yeah. folded style. So he talks through his his dinner uh, while Angel is too nervous to eat. Um, I like how we get two alternate ideas here, because usually it's like, Jim tells us what he thinks, which is what's happening, so that we can kind of get moving. Uh, so first he says, all right, so what if Kramer was a Soviet plant, and he wants to defect, and the Russians want to kill him, but then he gets killed in a robbery instead, and then they lose track of this Formula D, and then these other guys think that we have it because my car was there, but then why do they steal the jeans? <laughs> And yes. how does naval intelligence fit in? And Angel gets in here that the KGB is worse than the cops. Yeah. That they'll throw people in jail just for not just for not going to a parade. Uh, a little bit of Angel's weird version of American exceptionalism. Uh, and uh, the other part of this is Angel's plan. Yes. Well, because well, they're men without a country. Yes. So they're going to Mexico or Guatemala. <laughs> That's the thing like how for us specifically now. Mexico or Guatemala. Yeah. Those are our options. All right, so Jim Jim tries again. Uh, so Kramer gets hold of this formula. It's worth a lot. He decides to sell it to finance his defection, but then he gets killed. And then he's like, what if he wasn't killed? What if he faked his own death? And that's why the body was shot in the face. That frees him to sell the formula to the highest bidder. And nobody knows that he's dead. And that's why all this confusion. 
So I have to correct myself from earlier in this episode when I should have known better uh, that the KGB hasn't killed him. They they hire Angel to kill him. So when they go just before the chase, when they go to kill and mock up Mr. Jones's suicide. I think they think that that Mr. Jones killed him. Yes. So they can final finalize the plan, um, which actually still kind of tracks with that very first scene because Angel, as Mr. Jones, does have a line where he's like, don't tell me how to do my business. Yeah. I, I like it done as soon as possible. And it's like, what are you trying to tell me how to do Do what I do? And he has the line about hoping and, yeah. and whatnot and spitting and see which hand fills first. So there is kind of a connection to, so he took a long time, but he finally did it. So now we can eliminate him. Yeah. On the side of the KGB. Anyway, Jim is musing ag- about the genes again. These guys at Rockies are stealing the genes. Oh, not that again. Come on. That's absolutely hopeless. So they can run them through a lab. But they don't steal all the genes. They leave the pairs of Bronkbusters because they don't need them. Or no, maybe. Maybe it's because they already know everything about them. Huh? Huh? What? Mm-hmm. Uh, a light bulb has gone off for Jim, fueled fueled by his by his Mexican dinner. He thinks he has figured something out. He's done better than I. Well, I am still sitting here going like, "What?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, apparently the genes are a thing. Um, so we uh, have an establishing shot of the Bronkbusters Corp Corporation sign, and Jim and Angel go in with another story. Uh, this one is a bureaucratic fast talk. Yes. Where they're from the State Board of Industrial Safety. And it's an unannounced inspection. Can you please point us to the lab? And they're talking to the, you know, the front desk receptionist. Because she's going to call someone and be like, oh, let me call Mr. Whoever and check. Well, I'm afraid that won't be possible. Well, not since the legislature amended Title 20 of the Noise Level and High Toxins Act, February 1. All inspections are now uh, unannounced. Anyone who communicates prior knowledge is guilty of misdemeanor collusion. Mm. I know, I know. It's a pain to all of us, but it's something we have to live with. Nader, you know. (laughs) (laughs) What a lovely moment in history. For those who perhaps are unaware, uh, this is right when Ralph Nader is kind of spearheading seatbelt safety. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this whole idea of consumer safety and that the government needs to do something to regulate, you know, safety protocols for products so that the profit motive doesn't just create dangerous situations for individuals while companies don't need to care about it. So the receptionist buys it. She points them to the lab, but then there's a group of three men that walk into the frame and Angel kind of like pulls Jim down. And so they kind of turn their backs and goes, those are the guys from Rockies. (laughs) And Jim's like, Oh, and then they walk past and they go out the front door. And then to excuse themselves, he says, uh, oh, we should go get the Kelvin meter. Let's get that now so we don't have to deal with it later. And they turn around and leave. And we have this great shot of the receptionist just with this, like, whatever you say, like, yeah. puzzlement <laughs> on her face. Uh, and they peace out to, to follow these goons uh, who are with a, another man um, uh, out of the parking lot. And they pursue in the red pickup. So our car goons are guys who work for Bronkbuster or work for whoever this guy is who's yeah. the Bronkbuster guy. Yeah. Uh, we pull up to a foggy uh, warehouse on the pier. Jim and, and Angel get out and spy through the windows, and they see a payoff in progress between the Bronkbuster guys and a man who matches the photo that Jim, I think he still has it, uh, yeah. which I had forgotten about. So the photo of Kramer, the original target of Mr. Jones. He's not dead after all. 
apparently Bronkbuster is buying something from Kramer. It's getting more and more <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. But also, we're approaching the end. So you, you're sort of like, yeah, fine. Yeah, let's let's wrap this up. I think I checked. I was like, all right, there's like six minutes left of this episode. Let's Where is this going? Yeah, yeah. Jim goes to find a payphone to call the cops. And we then cut to the naval intelligence guy who's in a car on like a radio with some dialogue saying, uh, we're following the, the tracker we planted in Bronkbuster. Yeah. We're closing in. Angel, while he is peering through the window, of course, manages to knock over a barrel and get everyone's attention. And get his hand stuck. He gets his hand stuck in the in the grate and then leaves his glove behind, which is the first time his gloves have come off the yes. entire episode. But then I believe it stays there to kind of indicate for when Jim comes back that Angel yeah. is, you know, something happened to Angel. So the Bronkbuster goons grab Angel and then two cars full of naval intelligence guys roll up and they, you know, get out and tell everyone to drop on the ground. Uh, you know, the jig is up. Kramer is standing in the middle of this group of guys. The Bronkbuster guys drop their guns, but Kramer grabs Angel and holds him as a hostage. And he starts backing away. But Jim, who came back from the payphone, is hiding behind a car. And he jumps on Kramer from behind, <laughs> knocking Angel flying. And uh, they get into a scuffle. I believe that Kramer gets a good punch in on Jim, sends him sprawling, which is when the naval intelligence guy takes a shot and shoots Kramer, who then falls down. And I think we have a shot of seeing that he's still alive. Right. He is taken down by naval intelligence. So everything's cleared up now, right? All right. So we get into our last scene. We cut to the dental clinic where Chapman's walking around and all the communications gear is gone. Um, so Chapman, Becker, the naval intelligence guy, Jim and Angel are here. Naval intelligence, I think. One of them says, all right, well, there's no proof that there was any KGB here. That makes it easier with the press. And he spins out, a, I'll write a press release. Police still have no leads concerning a shootout in which Lewis Kramer, believed murdered earlier this week, was injured. Kramer refused to talk. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Bob, just a second. Uh, that makes us sound like imbeciles. <laughs> Rockford wants to know what the hell is going on, primarily so that he'll know what his legal position is. Yeah. Chapman uh, brushes him off. You know, you don't need to know any of this stuff, but Jim's position is that he can go right to that press room and tell them everything that happened. It's it's great because it, this jockeying back and forth between Chapman and the naval intelligence, and then Jim's just like, never mind, I'll, I'll do it. I'll write the press release. <laughs> Both of you have incentive to spin this in a certain way. Yeah. I have no incentive to do that. Yes. So tell me what's up. Because uh, he knows what happened, but he doesn't know why. Right? Yeah. Uh, so... Off the record, the our naval intelligence guy says that, well, American genes are difficult to get in the Soviet Union, as they're a symbol of Western decadence, and there's, like, economic sanctions prohibiting their sale and stuff. But uh, Soviet teenagers are willing to spend a lot of money and send it out of the country in order to get these genes. Yeah. Soviet, I guess, intelligence, scientists, someone, came up with a formula for denim, Formula D, which is superior to current American denim. It wears like iron for six to seven years. And so between the two, because Jim like asks some questions and what we yeah. get some more exposition. So why is the Navy involved? Naval dungarees. If they can have superior denim for naval uniforms, that will save the American taxpayer millions of dollars. And so that's why the Navy wants the formula. But Kramer, who has the formula, I guess, decided to defect and sell to private enterprise. And so if Bronkbuster, the jeans company, 
buys Formula D, then the Navy is going to have to pay out the nose to buy the jeans from Bronkbuster. Yeah, they have to pay retail price or whatever. So this whole thing was over the Navy wanted better jeans. Yeah, so it's the uh, the Soviets wanted better jeans. Well, yes. The Navy wanted better jeans. Uh, None of them wanted to pay the free market value of the jeans. (laughs) And somebody in that equation famously is for the free market while the other (laughs) isn't. Uh, yeah, it's a little, um, the, it's a little catch 22. Um, it's a delightful ridiculousness. Yes. And as Angel says, I risked my life for some lousy blue jeans. <laughs> yeah. I thought at least it would be for a missile component or a cover for a satellite. <laughs> and I'm feeling it. Yeah. Which is good. Like, again, it's like, I have this movie conception of what spy stuff is about. Yeah, exactly. So I guess Jim is satisfied, but Chapman has a whole litany of charges to book Angel on. You better be interested in blue jeans. You're going to be wearing them for at least the next six months. I'm talking about confidence swindling, conspiracy to commit murder. Jenkins, get in here. And so we get a classic as Angel is getting hauled out of the door. Jimmy! (laughs) Yes. One of them says, here's the only thing we found. And it's a box of cigars. And so Jim opens it and takes one out and goes, you don't suppose these came from Havana? And we freeze frame on Jim smiling at a cigar. (laughs) End of episode. Yay. Uh, Like the moment that box showed up, I was like, ah, these are Cuban cigars. Right. I even wrote, oh, there's a box of Cuban cigars. Yeah. Um, It's funny because the ending definitely has like the patter of a satire of a political situation. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm not entirely sure it's actually saying anything about it. like more. It's like that Nader comment, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit like that, that's that's the world we live in. Yeah, it's kind of like a reference to the times, yeah. but it's not really a critique. Here are the bizarre things about our times. I mean, because I think the thing about jeans is, is true. I, I yeah. think is my understanding that like bootleg American jeans or not boot. I mean, also bootleg, but uh, uh, yeah, smuggling American jeans into the Soviet Union was, like, a big business for organized crime, I think. Yeah. Like, a historical thing that happened. So, so that is referencing a thing. Yeah. We do have the fun thing where it's like, this whole plot was about blue jeans. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that. Uh, it's a funny episode, and it's... Well, I think the the one bit about it is that it it's, it's like, in two or three inches not absurd enough. Right, yeah. Or, or two to three inches too absurd. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uncanny valley between yeah. <laughs> those two because, like, it's not quite over. I think, again, like Battle X and the Exploding Cigar, where that actual plot, right, was like, we're going to sell uh, defective arms to these, these like, Soviet insurgents so that when they blow up in their face, it's going to make it harder for them to revolt right. against democratic, you know, whatever. I was like, sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, far enough over to like kind of the more absurd stuff uh while this was kind of like sneaking in in at the end yeah i i think the bit that knocks it a kilter weirdly is the um the scene at the railing when jim has finally had it with angel early on and that scene is so very real and so very dramatic and like there's there's a lot of pathos in it uh and you know has that nice stick of fruit gum ending and and just all of that going on but it doesn't um doesn't quite fit 
with the blue jean thing. I really don't have a problem with that kind of whiplash. So I really did enjoy this episode. But mm. I, I do think it could have gone, again, like just a toe more over the line. And then yeah. you would have, you know. Yeah, or a, a shade less, like, I guess a shade more like MacGuffin-y. I mean, like, yeah. the, like the blue jeans are kind of are a MacGuffin, but like. I say more like there was a $20,000 in counterfeit Soviet currency or something. Right. And that would be a little, bring, yeah. it, bring the needle back from absurd a little bit. Um, Yeah, it's it's in a little weird tonal place, which does not make it not a good episode. <laughs> no, it's a joy. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. What's fun about the, the, the episode is all the Jim Angel stuff, of course, and kind of that feeling of just like, it kind of has like a fun feeling of like, what is going on? <laughs> Which I think is intentional, right? And then, yeah, because you learn about the blue jean thing at the very end. And that's the explanation for like why it was so crazy. Um, I think as I've probably been harping on too much, there's like one loop extra of craziness than I think it really needs. Yeah, but that loop did bring us the lawyer and printer con. Right. So <laughs> like, I can't be mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think that that pretty much nails it. It's just like, yeah, no, the hole isn't a perfect hole, but what it is is uh, made up of wonderful parts. Yeah, it's one of those episodes for me where all of the elements are great. They kind mm-hmm. of don't really gel together. Sometimes the hole is greater than some of its parts. Yeah. And then sometimes each individual part, once you pull it all together, the hole is like averages out to be a little bit less. Yeah. And I think this is a little bit on that end of it. But if you're just watching it, if you just put it on and are just kind of like watching the episode, you'll hit each of those parts and enjoy each of them yeah. in turn. And you don't need to worry about the whole thing. By the time you get to where Jim is tied up in a dental office and angels in the chair, like who cares about all the stuff that already happened? Like we need to see what happens now. If you're not watching it for the sake of recording a podcast where you think you need to know what's happening. Right. In the mistaken belief that you need to know every detail. Yeah. (laughs) We do not. Um, yeah, if you're not in the business of making podcasts that are longer than the episode, uh, <laughs> this is a perfectly this is a this is a great episode. Oh, so called out. <laughs> but yeah, so thanks for hanging with us on this one. I think we got a little all over the place, but that kind of is the the spirit of the episode. It's a little all over the place, but in the fun way. Yeah, I th- I would agree with that. Well. I'm going to go take off my leather jacket and the thick gloves that I've been wearing this entire time because, boy, are my hands sweaty. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go try on some new blue jeans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Six to seven years out of those yeah. blue jeans. Six or seven years out of the blue jeans. And then you got cutoffs for another six or seven <laughs> years. It's great. Exactly. 12 to 14 years of pants. <laughs> uh, well... With that, perhaps we will leave you to think about your own gene situation. <laughs> but we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs>